You're listening to the Revolution Church Podcast. To learn more, including our gathering times in Crossville, Tennessee, visit us at CrossvilleRevolution.com. All right, what's going on, Rev Church? Everybody say, yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Thank you, out for those claps. Uh, so good to see everybody this weekend. Uh, hey, before we get going, I just got to say a huge thank you to the whole staff. Uh, but Pastor Brandon filled the pulpit and the platform last week and did an incredible job. Amen, y'all. Let's honor him. Absolutely poured up. Did a great job. Uh, I have got an incredible staff, and we are so blessed to have such incredible communicators here at Red Church, uh, besides myself. I mean, I've told y'all this before, I'm going to say it all the time, but I feel like I've got Babe Ruth in the batter's box, you know what I mean? And and then also we've got Luke Gehrig with uh, Jeff, our Rev Men's Minister, and then we've got uh, Jose Canseco, he was my favorite growing up, I don't know, I know he's on boards and everything, but like, he, he was awesome when I was growing up, and that's Pastor Donovan, just, just some incredible communicators, so, so humble, so appreciative of that. And by way of preface, I just want to make a couple of announcements. Um, if you're new to Revolution Church, haven't been here in a while, uh, there is a whole lot going on in our church right now. Number one, uh, we've already kind of talked about it, but next week is the biggest weekend of the year for almost every single church in America. What is next week, y'all? Next Sunday is Easter. Easter. Uh, you probably heard Brooke, our worship leader, tell you guys that one statistic shows that people are 85% more likely to come to church when you invite them on Easter. It's such a cultural holiday. Uh, people have a lot of traditions with it. So we would encourage you, invite as many people as you can this week. And let me tell you something. You've got a great conversation starter right now with anyone in Crossville. Because as you know, uh, the church is in the process of purchasing Rocky Top 10 Theater uh, to make it our permanent home. And if you talk to somebody about that, they'll probably have a million questions. Is the theater going to stay open? When y'all moving in? Yada, yada, yada. They'll either love it or they'll hate it. And you can always come back with, why don't you just come check the church out see what we're all about? See what it's about rather than reading stuff on Facebook and listening to a bunch of gossip. Like, why don't you come check church out? And they're more likely to come next week. So please, please, please bring them. On Easter next week, too, uh, we are starting a fourth service, and we're going to keep that until further notice, okay? Uh, there should be a card back or a card on the seat back in front of you that you can grab, a black card that says Easter with the times. Take these and invite people with them. Get a whole stack from the ushers on your way out and uh, give them out to people this week. But four service times start next week. Everybody say the service times with me. They're going to put them on the screen. And I've got it on my T-shirt, so just look at my T-shirt if you have to. Yeah, there we go. Everybody say 8 a.m.? Everybody say 9.30 a.m. 11 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. If you come to this service, it doesn't affect the time at all. It's still going to be at 9.30. The middle two services aren't going to change much. But uh, please bring as many people as you can next week. It's going to be incredible. Uh, Man, gospel presentation. We've got a testimony that is going to absolutely blow your mind. And uh, it's going to be really special. If you've never been to Easter at Red Church, uh, man, we really just depend on the Holy Spirit to take over. And uh, we believe he's going to do it again this year. Well, we're in the sixth week of our series from the book of James. If you're new to Red Church, what we like to do about 90% of the time is teach through books of the Bible, verse by verse. We feel like that is the best way for us corporately as a church to study scripture together. And so we're smack dab really in the middle of the book of James. And I have loved this series and the theme because the theme of the book of James is real faith equals real works. 
And today, boy, are we going to see it. Today's sermon is easy preaching, hard living. My job is pretty simple today. But as a Christian, my job leaving here is going to be very difficult. And so is yours. We're going to be in James chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12. There's an old story about a Jewish rabbi who sent his servant into the market one day. And he told him, I want you to get the best food possible and bring it home from the market. Well, the servant went and bought some cow tongue. I know we don't eat cow tongue in our culture today, very many of us, but in this culture, it was very, very big and very expensive and as a delicacy. And so he brings it back and, and the Jewish rabbi thinks to himself, you know what, I'm going to have a little fun with this. And the next day he looks at his servant and says, I want you to go into the marketplace and buy the worst food that there is. So the servant goes into the marketplace and he brings tongue again. The Jewish rabbi looks at him and says, why did you get tongue on both days when I told you to get the best and I told you to get the worst? And the servant said, good comes from it and bad comes from it. When the tongue is good, there is nothing better. And when the tongue is bad, there is nothing worse. Today, we are going to talk about the ways that we communicate. The Bible is going to talk heavily about the tongue. But understand, as we talk about the tongue, don't be legalistic and think, well, I can communicate however I want as long as verbally with my mouth. I'm not, no, no, no. This has to do with every form of communication, not just the tongue and verbally. This has to do with what you post on social media. This has to do with the things that you text message. This has to do with your nonverbal communication. When you tell people they're number one, when you're God, everybody follow me, everybody with me, okay? Okay? This applies to our deaf brothers and sisters that speak in sign language when it talks about the tongue. Now, we've all grown up in a culture that doesn't put a lot of emphasis on the way we communicate our words. We all grew up saying things like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but how, how do we say that? Everybody finish it. But words will never hurt me. Well, what we're going to find today is that is completely false. Completely false. Because I would submit to you this weekend, the most powerful part of your body is your tongue. Is your tongue. So let's start... In verse 1 of James chapter 3, we're going to stop along the way. There's about five or six points that we'll hopefully get to. James starts out like this in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers. You can expand teachers into pastors, preachers, teachers, and so on. My fellow believers. Now, keep in mind, as he says, not many of you should become teachers. My fellow believers. Once again, James is not writing to lost people. He's writing to fellow Christians. He's writing to people. Their theology is right. Who they've trusted in is right. But he's going to address something that is very important that every single one of us struggles with. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Point number one that we see in James chapter three is the tongue guides the church. This first verse clearly tells us that when teachers, when pastors, and when preachers preach from a platform, whether that be a small group, whether that be a platform like I'm standing on right now, whether it's in the kids' ministry, whether it's with the student ministry, whatever it is, the tongue guides entire groups of people. In fact, the tongue guides the church. 
Now, some would read this first verse and think that this is a condemnation for those that are called to be preachers or teachers or pastors, but that's not what it is. Instead, what this is, this is James giving a warning, a very stern warning to every single person in the church that would think, maybe if I become a preacher, people will like me. Man, if I become a preacher, I'll walk off the platform and people are going to slap me on the back and say, great pastor, great sermon, pastor, great sermon. You did so good. It was so funny. Do not become a preacher. Do not become a pastor so that you will receive words of affirmation. Because the people that stand on a platform like this and do their best to convey the word of God are going to be judged much more strictly for what comes out of their mouth. In the South, we've got this old term that we refer to the platform as, and it's the pulpit. Anybody ever heard the word pulpit before? This is referred to as the pulpit. And the pulpit, mainly what that means is, it's the main platform that the teaching of the word of God comes from to instruct the church. Now, let's get a couple things clear. This is not a stage where a performance happens. This is a platform where the gospel is proclaimed. Amen, Red Church? And so the main thing we do here is we proclaim truth. Now I'll tell you, this is why at Revolution Church, we're extremely picky about anyone in the church who's going to teach, who's going to lead, who's going to be a pastor, uh, who's going to be a preacher. Anyone that's going to stand on this platform, I'm extremely picky about because it is my responsibility as the shepherd of the church to make sure that they're doctrinally sound and they're sound in their lifestyle as well. Uh, you'll see if you go through the growth track that we're very, very picky. We have some standards in place for anyone that is going to teach the kids or teach the students or teach in the men's ministry or be a leader or anything like that because of warnings like this that we find in Scripture. Really, there's three things to consider with this verse. Number one, the words that pastors, teachers, and preachers say either convey truth, they obscure truth, or they can deny truth. So you better make sure you're hearing truth from whatever teacher you're listening to. Secondly, what teachers say affects everyone that's listening. What a pastor says from a platform like this affects the entire church. The idea from this verse is when a pastor, when a teacher, when a preacher stumbles, a whole crowd of people stumble behind them. Some of you guys in here, there's no doubt that there are testimonies in here of people that grew up in a church where a pastor had an affair, uh, stole money, something crazy happened in a church, and it got so bad that it even made you walk away from your faith for a while. That's the idea. When the leader falls, there's a whole crowd of people behind them that end up falling as well. Thirdly, teachers, this verse tells us, are expected to live what they teach. To live what they teach. Keep this in mind, Rev Church. It's not about how dynamic and how much charisma someone has on this platform. They may be incredible at teaching the Word of God. What's more important is how they live their life when they walk off this platform. One person said that it's not so much how important it is that someone is, is a good preacher and what people say about their sermons. What's more important is what their family says about them when they're at home. Does that make sense to everybody say amen? So you should give thought. If you feel like you're called, I would give you the advice, try to do everything else before you become a pastor or get into full-time ministry because we are going to be judged more strictly. Verse 2, y'all still with me? Say, I am. 
He says in verse 2. So look, verse 1, he starts from the top down in the church. He starts with the pastors, the leaders, the teachers, and the preachers. And now we get into the church as a whole. And this is where it becomes easy preaching, hard living. Look at your neighbor and say, we can make it through this. Go ahead. We can make it through this. Give them that encouragement, okay? Because Josh is about to sound like his grandfather, uh, who was an old school Baptist preacher, getting on to his church, okay? So, so just hang in there with us. You're strong. We got this. Easter is coming. It's Palm Sunday. Jesus has conquered the grave. We can make it because the Holy Spirit inside us. Listen to what it says. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Listen to that language. Able to keep their whole body in check. Second point is this. The tongue is an indicator of real thinking. Whew. Book of James. Boy, it's hitting us between the eyes, ain't it? What a mirror. It confronts us where we are. Jesus said, what comes out of the mouth shows what's in the heart. Your tongue is an indicator of real faith. This verse, verse 2, is an echo of chapter 1, verse 26 that said, those who consider themselves religious, in other words, man, I'm a Christian, and yet do not keep a tight ring on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. That's hard. There's two ways to look at this verse. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Some commentators look at this and they say, well, obviously it's talking about Jesus. And I agree with that. Because the only person that's ever lived in the world that didn't have fault in something they said was Jesus. Everybody else sitting in here and everybody that's ever lived besides Jesus has communicated or said something that they shouldn't have that has been sinless. He's the only one that is perfect, in other words. But there is a deeper meaning here, and you need to understand this. When it says this and it uses the word perfect, it's not in the sense of someone being sinless. It's in the sense of someone being made complete and mature by the Holy Spirit. The word perfect that's used in the Greek here is the same word that's used in chapter 1, verse 4, when it speaks to the perseverance that we have when we go through trials. Let me read it to you. In chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's the same Greek word that's used for perfect that in chapter 1 is translated mature and complete. In other words, how you use your tongue shows how close to God you are and are getting. How mature you are in your faith. How how complete the Holy Spirit is making you in your faith. Now, it's important to note in this verse, uh, James is not saying what some other religions would say, some other false religions, that some of y'all should take like a vow of silence. I know some of y'all think that'd be great if that happened with your spouse, but you shouldn't do that, okay? That's not what it's saying. It's not condoning silence when truth is needed, in other words. Instead, what James is speaking to when he talks about the tongue is self-control. Self-control, a fruit of the Spirit. You speak when the Holy Spirit leads you to speak. Let's continue in verse 3. Y'all still with me? Say aye. It says, when we put bits into the mouth of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. I love it 
when the Bible uses awesome examples. One of the difficulties in, in communicating to crowds like this in a culture where no one has an attention span is trying to figure out examples in order to figuratively relate them to the truth that we find in the Bible. But here, we've got two incredible examples that the Bible uses. First, he talks about horses and the bits that we put in their mouth. I, I don't ride horses. We've got a few people in the church that do, but this is a bit for a horse. You think about a horse that weighs hundreds and hundreds of pounds. You put this bit in their mouth, and you can completely control and maneuver them wherever you want to go. It's the exact same thing with the thing that's in our mind. It guides you and leads you where you're going in your life. He then uses the example of, of ships, like ships that, you know, boats that you put in the ocean, massive, massive ships that you put in the ocean. And the idea is ships are big, but the rudders that guide them are very small. I was doing some research on this, and there is a boat that is called the USS Eisenhower. That's one of the largest ships that the United States has ever created. We've got a picture of the USS Eisenhower we're going to put up. Look how big that thing is, man. It's huge, right? Listen to some of the stats about the USS Eisenhower. It weighs roughly 91,000 tons, 1,100 feet long. Uh, it's nuclear powered and has a 280,000 horsepower engine. Takes about 6,100 men and women just to function this ship and make this ship work. It can hold up to 100 aircraft. But listen to this. It's steered by a rudder that's just one-tenth of one percent of the ship's size and weight. One-tenth. The rudder on the ship that controls where it goes, the massiveness and impressiveness of this ship without the rudder guiding it is really useless. And the rudder lays less than one-tenth of one percent of the ship as a whole. Something so small is able, able to maneuver something that is so huge. Your tongue weighs less than one-tenth of one percent of your total body weight. But yet it controls where you go in your life. It maneuvers the paths that you take. The effect of our tongue is out of proportion with its size, but it does in fact determine the course of our lives. Every single person in here, be included, we've said things or not said things that have changed the path of our lives for better or for worse. Because in these first two examples, notice that these are neutral examples that James uses. Horses can be great or horses can be destructive. Ships can be great or they can be led to land and destroy somebody's home, right? So they're kind of neutral. It can be good or bad. But in the next verses, James, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in fact, God is telling us, hey, your tongue can be very dangerous. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, listen to these verses. Go ahead, look at your neighbor. Listen to these verses. These are the ones that are kind of scary. Listen, verse 5. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, 
a world. Listen to the way it describes these things. It gives like these descriptive terms of the tongue. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. The tongue is dangerous and can be destructive, in other words. If you break down some of these phrases that are used to describe the tongue, first it says the tongue is a fire. It's a fire. A fire can be a great thing. You can have a fire pit outside. You can have a fireplace in your house that keeps the whole house. You can make s'mores on a fire. How many of y'all like s'mores? Praise Jesus for s'mores. Amen, y'all. You can cook some hot dogs out there and cook some. But man, if that fire loses containment of where it's supposed to be and isn't controlled, it can burn the whole house down. You guys remember the Gatlinburg fires from about seven years ago? Remember, 14 people died. It burned up restaurants and homes. And we went like a year later and you can still see the charred trees and stuff from the Gatlinburg fires. Authorities are very certain that that fire was started by two kids on Chimney Top Trail that were playing with matches. Two kids playing with matches. Burned almost the whole forest down. 14 people died. That's your time. That's your time. I'm just playing. I'm just messing. No, no. It has the power to burn your whole life down. It says the tongue is a world of evil. In other words, the tongue has the capacity for evil like no other part of our body. John Calvin says this about the tongue. It is a slender portion of flesh that contains in it the whole world of iniquity. Think about the book of Proverbs and all the things it has to say about the words that we say in our tongue. Imagine if the book of Proverbs says this. Proverbs chapter 15. Put that verse up. I'm just going to read this to you. See if you catch anything. The soothing toe is a tree of life, but a perverse toe crushes the spirit. Can you imagine if the book of Proverbs gave us warnings about hammer feet or something? You know what I'm saying? Could you imagine what y'all, y'all could get those? Is it manicures? What's the thing for your feet? Pedicures. Yeah, y'all could get those pedicures and be like the holy rollers in the church and everybody else coming in with Negro toenails. You'd be like, sinner! Because the soothing toe is a tree of life. But a perverse toe crushes the spirit. That's not what it says. Put the real verse up there. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman. Well, I don't know. When you read the scripture, it tends to lean towards giving more instruction of the controlling of gossip and the tongue and things like that up towards the females. Men struggle with it too. I'm not saying that. I'm not being sexist, but I am saying the Bible seems to lean that way. Proverbs 31. Go to, that, go to the first one for Proverbs 31. It gives a warning to imagine if it said this. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her elbow. How crazy would that be? Man, her elbow has wisdom in it. No, no, no. It doesn't say that. Put the real one up there. She speaks with wisdom. Faithful instruction is on her what? Church? Tongue. 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 A world of evil. It says the tongue corrupts the whole body. It corrupts the whole body. 
what you say and how you communicate shows what's going on in your whole body. Jesus even said, what comes out of someone's mouth is what defiles them. Anybody ever seen the movie The Christmas Story? Of course y'all have Christmas Story. Remember the triple dog dare scene? What happened during the triple dog dare scene? This happened, okay? Put that picture up right there. He licked a pole and he couldn't get his tongue off because it was cold, right? And, and then the more modern version, I don't know, when I was a teenager, there was a movie out called Dumb and Dumber. If you remember Lloyd and Harry, show that one where Harry licks a pole. He's on a ski lift and he licks the pole. What's so interesting about the double dog there and when Harry did this in Dumb and Dumber, did you notice when their tongue stuck on the pole, their body stuck too. They ain't going nowhere. They can't even move. They're completely helpless because of where their tongue is stuck. Well, the Bible is saying in a figurative sense, spiritually, physically, in every sense, this is exactly the power that the tongue has. Your whole body is controlled by it. When it gets stuck, you get stuck. When it's out of control, you're out of control. It corrupts the whole body. It says it sets the course of one's life on fire. So it's not just about the tongue's reach, but also the tongue's duration. It's been said before that the second most deadly instrument is a loaded gun, but the first most deadly instrument is a loaded tongue. What he means when he says it sets the course of one's life on fire is he's saying from cradle to grave, from the time you learn to communicate till the time you die, your tongue is going to be an issue and you're going to have to be mindful of it. He's also saying that the consequences from the tongue could last for years. If you use your tongue in the wrong manner, the consequences of it could last a lifetime. Hey, in your marriage, I'm just going to tell you, everybody in here listen to me, you're the person, I feel like I need to say this, you're the person that just says what's on my mind. And I'm just going to tell her like it is. And you do it in the name of truth. And, and y'all know that everything you say should be true, but everything that's true doesn't have to be said. Y'all know that, right? Okay. There's marriage tip one-on-one. -on -one, and you say things to your wife that downgrade her, it could have consequences that last a lifetime. So many couples we sit down with and I'm like, no wonder. Y'all don't even know how to talk to each other. You don't even know how to leave her. You don't know how to lift her up, how to love her. You don't even realize what you're doing to her. That's why she's leaving you. Everybody get the idea? Say amen. So, so, so it sets the course of one's life on fire. Finally, it says, the tongue is set on fire by hell. The reality of hell is used as an example in comparative with the time. And here in James chapter 3, the word that's used for hell is the word Gehenna in the Greek. And it's referring to really a landfill or the valley of Hinnom that was right outside Jerusalem that all the original readers would know what they're referring to. This is the place where people took their garbage. This is the place where people that couldn't afford a, a funeral would dump dead bodies and families would dump the dead bodies into this valley of Hinnom. Uh, it was a place where there was a constant fire that was going, so that's why they used this to describe hell. Uh, interesting fact, uh, many people in that region had eye problems at the time, and most believe that many of the eye problems people had 
uh, comes from the ash that came from the Valley of Hinnom, or the Valley of Gehenna, because there was constant burning of trash and burning of bodies and ashes getting their eyes and cause infections and all kinds of things like this. But what he's saying here is, is the garbage in our hearts, when it comes out through our tongues, it's almost as if he's saying it's set ablaze as soon as we start running our mouths. As soon as we start using our tongues in a sinful manner, those things that are in our heart come out and we get the stench from the valley of Hinnom. We get the ash that causes infections that spreads all over from the valley of Hinnom. The power of the tongue is incredible in how it's described in James chapter 3. Chuck Swindoll says this about this verse of scripture. He says, think about that. It's virtually impossible to seethe with anger without expressing our rage in words. Bitterness sours our speech. Pride prattles on and on. Hate explodes from the lips. The tongue can suddenly turn an otherwise gentle person into a monster. It's a world of iniquity. Verse 70 continues. Y'all still with me? Sam. He says, he starts to use an example of how we tame animals. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue is untamable. What he's saying is every single one of us, the preacher, the brand new person that just got saved last week, every single person, every single believer, every single Christian, every single person that's a part of the church, you cannot tame your tongue. And if you think you're not going to sin with your tongue, you're struggling with pride. I don't ever say anything. Boy, are you stupid, idiot. That's what the Bible says. You're a moron. It's a Greek word. Look it up. Don't call people that. I'm just quoting scripture here. Y'all know what I'm saying? But you're a spiritual idiot if you think that. Because every one of us is going to say things that are sinful, say things we shouldn't say, communicate things that we shouldn't. And so the key is here, what James is pointing out is, when you do that, you will do that. I don't care how long you've been in church, how much Bible you have memorized. When you do that, repent. Confess. Say you're sorry. Ask for forgiveness. Get it as far as the east is from the west. Don't dig your heels in. Don't think, well, they're 99.999% wrong. You were still 0.000001% wrong. So when you say something you shouldn't, when you, when you communicate in some way that is destructive and not uplifting, you own it. You own it. And every one of us is going to do that. Every single one of us. Some of y'all, you were coming to church this morning and the devil got in your car and made y'all fight my husbands and wives in here. And you're walking in here right now like mad at each other. Don't even want to sit next to each other because you fussed on the way to church. Y'all know that's how it works, right? The devil's always going to come at you when you're coming to church. That's when the kids are not going to want to go. That's when they won't get ready on time. You can't find their socks. Your husband's making you mad. Your wife's driving you crazy, yada, yada. But, but right now, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and telling you, you need to apologize to each other. You both said some things you shouldn't. You're wrong. Get over it and move on. The poison will come out. Verse 9, let's close this down. Y'all still with me, Sarah? Last part of the scripture. 
Verse 9, when the tongue, with the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Anybody in here drive? In here drive? You ever been like singing a worship song? You know, listening to Christian radio. I surrender. You stupid idiot! Anybody? Not many hands. How many of y'all are sitting next to somebody that's ever done that? Is this not applicational? You go to church and you're like, oh man, God's so good. You're crying during the worship. You hear a sermon that just hits you between the eyes and you leave and you're all filled up and then you go to Cracker Barrel and they get your order wrong. Y'all know what I'm talking about? These are not examples that have happened to me in my life that I've done. I've heard about other people doing it. You go to Taco Bell, you know, and they forget to put extra cheese on your burrito. And like, if you didn't know Jesus, you'd go back and whoop somebody over extra cheese on your burrito. Now let's pray to Jesus for extra cheese on your burrito. Amen, y'all? But like, come on, man. Isn't this, this is us. Our tongue. Man, we just, it's crazy how the Bible reads us. We don't read it, right? He continues and finishes up by saying, my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. He leaves us with this question in this passage. Is your tongue honoring God? Is your tongue honoring God? In chapter 4, verse 8, is a famous scripture that says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Y'all ever heard that before? Come near to God and he'll come near to you. Incredible verse of scripture. There's more to that verse though. We quote it all the time and we leave off the qualifiers that are in the B part of the verse. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. We'll get to chapter four and we'll explain exactly what that means. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In chapter one, verse eight, it talks about essentially a man that speaks out of both sides of his mouth is double-minded. He's a hypocrite. He says he's a freshwater spring, but he's actually a saltwater spring. He says he's a fig tree, but he's actually a grapevine. It's hypocrisy. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12 is so difficult because it's one of those passages of Scripture that confronts us where we are individually, but it also confronts and calls out the Americanized version of Christianity and I dare say every single one of us have grown up in. The idea that, hey, just say a prayer, get baptized, and as long as you come to church every once in a while and give the church a little money, we're going to leave you alone. <laughs> never call you out. We'll never preach on James chapter 3. Because James chapter 3 exposes 
the hypocrisy in so many of us. See, the, the church in America, whether we've taught this or not, we've kind of led people to believe this, that, man, if you'll just say a prayer and do those things that I said, you're good. It doesn't matter if you're changed. But when you read passages like this, you see that change is part of the equation. I'm not preaching a works-based salvation. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. But what I am saying is the Bible and the New Testament clearly teaches that when you meet Jesus, the language is very clear. You are born again. You're not the same. You cannot find an example in the scripture or any scripture to back up the idea that someone gets saved and they stay exactly the same. You cannot find anywhere this passage says if you know Jesus and so true with so many things you're not going to be perfect with your time but when you meet Jesus you're going to be different something's going to change you're going to do the best you can to follow what God's word says and that's hard because for so many of us in here it makes us wonder do I really need to do this? James are you saying you're a freshwater spring but really you're a saltwater spring are you saying you're a fig tree but you're really a grapevine do you really know Jesus or are you just like playing the part and God's wearing the bottle belt we're a revolution church in Crossville Tennessee off Genesis Road. How much more Bible Belt can we get than that? Everybody here says they're a Christian. Everybody here says they're born again. But are you following Jesus? That's the question. Some of y'all that know Christ need to start giving your time to the Lord a story about one lady that came and said preacher I, I just want to I want to put my tongue on the altar and the preacher said I don't think our altar, our altar is big enough you know that's not true but it is big enough some of y'all need to just pray that God will redeem your mouth because you talk about people you talk about things think about this think about how this passage applies to our church you know, God's blessed us and we get ready about this new leader and move into it, but if you think that's going to solve all our problems, it'll solve some of them, but it's going to open up a whole another can of a bunch of new ones. whole another can. Isn't it crazy that in God's sovereignty and His providence, He's having me teach on this scripture right now, when in a month or two, it'd be so easy to complain. We gotta make all these decisions. Now we're gonna own a building. It'd be easy to ramble and gossip and 
was pretty essential. I don't think we should do it like that. Hey, you get that? Go up the ladder with it. If you got questions, we don't mind questions, but go up the ladder. You don't go around with everybody else ruining their church experience and their relationship with God because you're mad that we have different seats now. I don't know. You know? I mean, it's biblical. When change comes, God's people tend to say stuff like, I wish we were back in slavery in Egypt. And they forget about how God delivered them and gave them a gift, right? But how much does this apply to us as a church as we move forward? I'm going to do everything I can not to fuss about stuff we're doing that I don't agree with. Y'all know what I mean? I'm going to do everything I can not to ground and pound somebody that's being fussy, you know what I mean? And control my tongue. And I would encourage us all to do the exact same thing. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. I thank you for every single person that's here. God, uh, you are so good to us. Uh, Lord, I'm just going to pray for the plank in my eye instead of praying for the speck in other people's eyes. I pray, God, that you help me to control my tongue. I pray that when I'm on this platform, proclaiming the gospel and your word, God, that, that I get out of the way and I'm just a pipeline and a mouthpiece for what it is that you want to be said. I pray, God, that in my life, I would build up with my words, not tear down. I pray that my words would bring unity and not demolish it. I pray that my words encourage fellowship and doesn't destroy it. I pray, God, that as I get older and I'm recognizing in myself that I'm leaning more towards negativity and more towards being critical. I'm kind of like that, get off my long old man now. A lot different than I used to be, God, that, that I lift up the next generation and I encourage them. And I look forward to what it is you're going to do, not what the world has going on around me. God, just pray that as our church moves forward, you would help me to have self-control, to have kindness, and to be generous with my words. I pray, God, for every single couple in here, Lord, that they would have grace with their tongues towards each other. We love you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Hey, if you're encouraged by today's message, be sure and rate us and subscribe on iTunes.